0: Welcome to Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. I'm Graham Couch of the Lansing State Journal, alongside my colleague Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press, and um, we're going to get into game week. Michigan State football has a football game this week against Central Michigan. All the position analysis, the off seasons, the of you know, surmising who might be where, the quarterbacks, all that stuff. All of we have new data uh this Friday, which is really, really nice. Yeah, yes, I believe the stock words are we'll see on Friday. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, I think that's what Mel Tucker said Monday like it who would run out there on Monday. I wonder if it'll just be a race, like all right, who gets behind the line of scrimmage gets to take the first snap. You know, uh, oh um, that's
1: that's a that's an interesting take on a competition, you know? I mean whoever's <laughs> the fastest to the huddle gets the first snaps.
0: Gets the first snap. There you go. Um all right so there's a lot to lot to think about with this game, um, and we haven't actually talked about Central Michigan much. We've talked about Michigan State sort of big picture, but it, it now becomes like we start to learn about MSU. What are you th- looking forward to learning the most about Michigan State in this
1: particular game? Boy, the most. That's going to be – I mean, there's so many things that we need to see and learn in a – in a game environment, I think. Um, I think the f- biggest thing we need to see is what the the quarterback situation is. And I don't necessarily mean who runs out and starts the game. I mean, who looks most comfortable with the offense? Who's getting the most reps? Who's moving the offense uh, and the chains, like what they couldn't do at times last year? Are they, are they sputtering in three and outs? And I think the direction of, how the offense is going and which of those two guys or maybe three. I mean, it's, they're still keeping Sam Levitt's name out there, um, you know, and, and I i think just from watching the little glimpses we saw in practice, he does have – he has a bright future, but we'll see if how much ground he was able to make up in a short period of time. But I do think between those two guys – um, it's not so much the individual performance; it's who can manage what needs to be done to get the offense moving.
0: It's it's one of those things where, and to me, like does it look smooth? Does you, you know? I go back to Connor Cook in the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl, who was four for eleven, and yet I think most of us left that game thinking, "Boy, you know what? The offense just moved a little bit better when he was in there, right?" And yeah. sometimes. It's less about stats and more is about feel. And, of course, taking care of the ball will be a big thing. But who can make plays? Who feels like a threat back there? What makes the offense go and and, and, and how it looks? And um, I think both will play. I, I'd be surprised, Chris, if both don't, if they don't have a plan to, to get the other one in there.
1: Early, um, early but, first half reps.
0: Yeah, no. The problem with the new clock rules, there are only twelve plays in a game. So if you want to give somebody the second, you want to give somebody the second quarter a drive in the second quarter. That is the second quarter. So no, I'm kidding, but it, it we'll see how that is going to actually play a factor. That's here. It's going to play
1: a big um, factor when you're trying to. I mean, both teams. I mean, both MSU and CMU are trying to work in new quarterbacks. CMU has guys who have started at least. Um, they just haven't been the guy.
0: And CMU's situation is is interesting because they've got. Two quarterbacks who are one is a, a you know redshirt sophomore, one's a redshirt freshman who played four games last year and rushed for nearly 500 yards. Yeah. And like, he he is a uh, you know Bert Emanuel Jr. is a guy who you know we'll see if he's the starter or if it's uh, Jace Bauer, but both are running quarterbacks first in terms of their where their strength are. I think Jace has the probably higher upside as a thrower right now. He's a tough runner. He's he's got good quickness. But Burt Emanuel is a difference maker as a runner, and the sort of guy, if you're looking to cause problems as you play up in a matchup like this, he's probably a guy that's going to have to be on the field um, if, if if Central Michigan's going to have a chance to be uh, prolific enough on offense to, uh, to, to cause Michigan State trouble, unless MSU turns it over, or unless MSU just physically isn't as good as, as they should be in a matchup like this. Uh, that quarterback matchup would be interesting because I do think Central Michigan is a little bit one-dimensional, and so we'll find out about how Michigan State tackles in space, how they can own the line of scrimmage, all that stuff against Central's quarterbacks.
1: And we also don't know how many-dimensional Michigan State is when you when it sounds like the the running back situation probably will be another new running back with Nathan Carter. I mean, he by all accounts, he's going to be the guy. Um, and then Jalen Berger gets – kind of sh- shuffled out in, in, or into the background. I I mean, th- I think this is compelling football in that we, it, this is like Sandlot football in some ways where you just don't know who you're going to show up and see other than, than simply the fact that we've seen what these guys and teams can do individually. Um, but in very small glimpses.
0: Yeah. There's a compelling storyline at almost every position this Friday. Like, quarterback is obvious. Who plays, how they look, where this all goes, right? Pretty, pretty clear. Uh, receiver, where you've lost your top two receivers. And you have some proven guys, but then you've also got some guys that are younger that may have a higher ceiling. And, uh, you know, you get a lot of camp talk about Montori Foster and guys like that. Like, what is the ceiling of that guy? What does he look like? What does that whole receiver group look like? Do they have people who are difference makers? Tight end, a lot of talk about Malik Carr is ready to take that step. Well, let's see it, right? Offensive line, improved depth. What does that mean? Do they get a push? Because that's a position that in the past we've run into where there's a red flag when in a matchup like this where you can't really prove that you're going to be okay in the Big Ten, but you can prove you're in trouble if you can't move the Mid American Conference yes. school off the ball. And then running back, you're right. Like Nathan Carter, there's a lot of talk about him. You know, running back is a position where you can usually see the juice right away. And so, how you know, how do they use him? You know, where is is Berger's role? How how much are they platooning guys versus a one back system? And that's just the offense. There's a yeah. lot of questions on the other side of the ball too. And we're not even in the kicking. We're team. not
1: even talking about what we're going to see two hours before kickoff when we get the first availability report,
0: right? which is interesting too. I mean, right.
1: there, I mean, we know Nick Samak was banged up during camp. He admitted it we saw JD Duplain in the BTN special in a red jersey at times uh and other times we saw him in videos released by MSU not in a red jersey and practicing you know and, and, and unless you have full context of any of it it's just crumbs right i mean you know same with the, the on the defensive side of the ball who's is and who isn't available i think that's going to be fascinating because you know i'd say the one guy that that makes the the biggest Question mark for me, uh, who in the BTN special was in a red jersey, was Jaden Mangum, because that's supposed to be one of your starting safeties and one of the building blocks for your future. I, I think that's going to be fascinating to see. And I believe if you did the uh, Graham Couch Western Michigan shot chart last week with me saying fascinating, uh, that's that's kind of the word about this. This this is a fascinating time to be following Michigan state football in terms of not knowing what exactly they're trying to present. I mean, it's intentional by Mel Tucker. He's been, obs- I, I don't want to say he, he, he's been very opaque and I don't want to say he's been obtuse about it because I get it. You know, you teams haven't seen you, you've got a lot of new guys. It's just like 2021 and some respects in that you brought in such a bunch of guys who are going to play right away for you and really even a guy like Chris Bogle who didn't play much for you last year coming back from injury um you know where's he at so I uh I think there's so many things even before we even get total leather that are going to be pretty fascinating I guess I mean I I keep coming back to that word but that's I mean that's really what it is well the injury report thing is interesting and for people don't know that's
0: a, a new um you know, uh, mandate in, in college football that that you have, or in, in, in the Big Ten at least, that, that um, was
1: that was enacted last week after we did right. our podcast.
0: Right, and and the idea that it's sort of like an NFL injury report. It's unclear. It's exactly not even how, not even
1: close. I don't think it's
0: how detailed. Yeah, how detailed. Right. I mean, it's not as it's, detailed. They,
1: these teams have up until two hours before kickoff to say whether a guy is available or not available, and that's and that's it.
0: pretty much what it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, and it's not Wednesday, and it's not. So I mean, it's interesting, and the claim is partly it's done to prevent, uh, you know, sort of things gambling on on campus and stuff. It's a, it's a weird deal with that though, because understand that most bets are made long before two yep. hours before the game, exactly. And so now now are people going to hold off? And if you were actually a player, if you're what you're worried about is players getting involved with this stuff, players are the one who would have insight early in the week. So it doesn't really deter that. I don't really understand what they're trying to. If you want an availability report that has teeth. Or impacts point spreads and stops shenanigans from potentially happening. You would do it on Wednesday or Thursday,
1: even Friday, even 24 hours before kickoff.
0: Yeah, right, right. So it, it it is it it's it's a naive attempt.
1: It's a start. It. I mean, that took a lot to get coaches to crack on that. I'm sure.
0: Well, it's also. I bet you it's people in the Big Ten office who just aren't used to placing a bet. Like I, you know, people who aren't aren't don't exist in that world that often would be like. This, this, we're doing something here when they don't actually understand the mind of a gambler. They should have brought somebody in who actually places a bet every week.
1: I disagree. I think this is all stemming from coaches' acquiescence. I, I think this is coaches saying, This is what we'll give you. At some point, the coaches have to relent. And I mean, there's a reason the NFL has the model it does.
0: Here would be my line to a coach who didn't want to acquiesce. I'd be like, Look, we've got a lot of decisions to make in the future of college football. One of them is, the best way to share revenue is to reduce coaching salaries about tenfold. So before we think about that, let me ask you what you want to do with this. Like, in other words, you don't let the coaches be in position of power with this. These guys are often paranoid fools when it comes to this stuff. I understand wanting to keep certain things, you know, I understand not wanting people to know who your quarterback is until they take a snap. If you if you got two guys to prepare for, I
1: I, I get some of that. But the overall paranoia in this stuff is is overboard. I 100% agree with you, but I also think you're taking a Pollyanna-ish approach on this as well because you're talking about the quote-unquote leaders of this sport who have bowed to television powers on everything from kickoff times to where games are played and Everything else so they're they're going to stand up to the coaches too I mean they're not standing up to the TV people they're not going to stand up to the coaches they want well, the those, problem is those a lot people the- those people that you are talking about honestly have no power or they've well, they've seated right. the power
0: and a lot of campuses the coaches is, is is the most powerful um powerful person I just you know it it, it to me it could be done um I, I wouldn't acquiesce to coaches on this if you want to do it do it and do it right I get but you're right this is a step so Beyond that, once we know who's playing, and I do think there there is interest in that because as you, I mean, Mel Tucker keeps saying the line about getting the horses to the race, so to speak. I mean, I think he he want he thinks he has a squad that can do some things and has a chance to be intriguing and grow into something if he has his main guys available, and so that's what he's he's concerned about. And they change the way they practice to try to to try to make that happen. Um, let, let's look on the... Well, um...
1: I want to stay on that, though, because I think okay. that, that what we talked about with Mel Tucker the last couple of weeks has been a marked different from, difference from what we heard from him at Big Ten Media Day, where he said this is the deepest team he's ever had. There's talent all across the board. Then midway through camp, he kind of flips it and says, we can't have just 30 to 40 guys. Now, some of that's motivation for some of those guys, but that also doesn't really say that, you thought that you had 110 guys two months ago or a month ago, and now you realize we might have 30 or 40. I mean, 30 yeah, or so 40 my- is not going to – I mean, yeah, that's that to me, when I heard that, that was a marked flip from, from what we heard in Indianapolis and almost felt like in, in a lot of ways – and I think – I don't know if we talked about it last week, but it felt like maybe tempering some expectations of a fan base – well, some of that is, though, I also think, and there might be some of that, but I also think
0: this is what happens, and this could be a positive thing or it could be a problem, but it's what happens when you finally discover you're getting some separation. So when when it feels like you've got 19 healthy offensive linemen, that sounds great six months away from kickoff. And then you think, well, I've got like 10 guys and maybe we'll to we'll play. And then you get closer to game time and you're like, you know what? the 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 gap between the guy who's developing here and this guy is actually – Significant to the yes. point that if this guy goes down, there, there's a step back. Same on the defense. So then you start thinking, okay, you know, and so it could mean that they've discovered when they have their top 22, they're at a level that's 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 okay. That's got a chance to play. Uh, the problem is their depth is 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 beneath that level. Even if there's more depth, and and so it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean it's it just mean you're sort of discovering more about your team. But I do agree the rhetoric
1: has sort of changed. It, it, I'm, I'm sure some of that is. Every embracing. every co- every coach knows you don't have twenty two. I mean, you could say top twenty two, but if you, I mean, the way the game is and the physical nature of it and the injuries and everything else, if you don't have at least double that, if you don't have forty four guys, right?
0: But the thing is, though, as you're building a program, you may run into years where your top twenty two are are considerably better than your next twenty two, and and that that may be where Michigan State still is right now. I think what, what's interesting about it in one sense is that two years ago, when the Kenneth Walker team, he said something very similar going into that season. And, and ultimately, I think what's a little confused, like two years later, the depth should look different. And maybe it does. Maybe there is different types of depth. And, and, and maybe the, the, the guy who's number one is just better now. And, and so it feels like, like for example, I don't think they have, they, they've got a really good defensive line with multiple guys who have a shot at the NFL but I don't think they have two Simeon Barrows, right? And and so I think if you lose Simeon Barrow, you can have depth and you can have decent depth, but you're less of a football team. And I think he knows that too. I
1: think that. You don't think so? No, because I think that they that's one spot where they actually do have depth and depth of talent. Because I think that Jalen Sa- yeah. Jalen Sammy, uh, Maver- different players. I th- I Sammy's th- not a three technique. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, different but I, think, I think Sammy Hansen and and Harmon, all are guys who could play at the next level. Um, yeah, you're, you you don't, right. you don't have, you don't have that kind of depth where I'm looking at and saying there's four, and, and we don't know about Alex Van Summer and another guy that was in a red Jersey during the BTN thing, but that's another four star guy. I mean, and he brought in the two guys that with Dre Butler and Jarrett Jackson, who, I mean, we didn't see him in the spring. We didn't see them in the BTN show. So yeah, they've been in red. So, um, but there's a lot more depth there. I mean, I don't know if there's any other position on the, on this team where you could say there's probably four guys who I could see as potential pros. I mean, yeah, quality depth. Yeah, yeah. And not not at least in guys who are later in
0: their careers at right. some point. Maybe, it, maybe
1: wide receiver at some point. I mean, you know, you've got the young kids that are talented, maybe some of those guys in the secondary, but not at this moment uh, this year.
0: Yeah. And, and I think, you know, one of the things we won't get a sense of in this game because I don't think. Central is the type of team that, and I think Central's got good running backs. Uh, I know they, they lost Lou Nichols. Everybody's talked about that, but they've got good backs. They've got like Central's going to be a team that, if if they could actually throw it with any sort of, uh, with any sort of proficiency, um, apologize for that. I don't know if that was me or uh, or you. Um, the uh, if you if you could throw it with any sort of efficiency, then they'd be a real threat in this game but i do think even though the secondary won't get tested in certain ways probably over the top and with with pinpoint passes the way they might later on i do think that tackling in space you know being being in the right places working together on i think i think in some ways that this is it, it's almost an ideal situation because you're being tested in terms of dealing with really quick athletes in terms of working together staying in your gap, tackling in space, and yet the the second part of how you'll be tested will come later. You don't get it all at once, and I, I think that's probably not a bad deal for what's a young secondary, especially if this defensive front can control things and as good
1: as, as we think they might be. Well, on the flip side of that, I think Central's biggest strength is their defense. I mean, they got guys that in the back end who are going to be playing on Sunday. Um, you know, I don't know how much depth they have there, but they do have. It's it's also game one, so depth sometimes doesn't matter. Game one, particularly if you're going on the road and trying to give yourself a puncher's chance. I mean, they've got a a strong returning group on defense, and I think that's going to be, to me, more fascinating than seeing what Michigan State's defense does. I I really think that the you know i think this is this is going to to me maybe be a low scoring game in some ways and i don't know if that's good for either of these well for central it's good because it bodes well for them moving into mac play and the rest of the season that they they can bank on their defense but you know i don't know what the fan base will do if it, i was talking with someone what if it's a 17 to 14 game you know what if it's a 20 to 20 to 13 game i mean if it's a low scoring game and you're not Putting a team away and you're not seeing that progress on offense, which might not even be because of the offense. It might be because the the central defense is is uh, has some talent and has some uh, has some veteran guys and, and some cohesion from a year ago. Um, it I it, I don't think the fan base will look at it well. The coaching staff might. The coaching st- staff will understand. Okay, that central team is better than than we, than most people are going to think. Yeah, that,
0: that that's the thing. You, you you never really know after week 1 what you've just seen because you don't really know the strength of either team. Like every week, this is why preseason polls and week 2 polls are ridiculous. There will be like two SEC teams or something that'll play each other and they both have big brands and one wins and so one becomes number 4 in the country and it turns out both are crap. You know, like
1: uh, it, you, don't you don't need just, to, you don't need to go anywhere but the 2016 Michigan State Notre Dame game. For that. Yeah,
0: so so right, and then sometimes you can play a Mid American Conference team that winds up being really good, and and like there's some people think this Central team will be, um, you know, better than they're pegged to be. They certainly have a defense that's got some guys if they stay healthy. They've got some electrifying players in, in the ground game, and you know, so if, if they wind up being, you know, the one thing that I can tell you right now from having covered that league is the preseason poll is rarely right. <laughs> it's yeah. rarely, and there's so much parity, And I'm not saying Toledo won't wind up being the best team. They're the odds-on favorite to win the league. But it, it they have zero, it, it, plus 150 to win the league, they have zero value. At plus 1,700, Central Michigan actually has a little bit of value because I, the difference won't be that severe. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not saying Central Michigan's going to win it. Um, and it's something you find out down the line. Again, I think what's, and, there, and the other thing to keep in mind, Chris, is you know you and I covered some Michigan State teams at their height, where they didn't look great in this opener on yep. Friday nights offensively, and they, and they they even when they you know 2014, 15 they weren't really prolific, and so th- you got to keep that in mind. Guys can grow into things, um, but if, if if guys look good and 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 then you also don't know maybe Central Michigan's really bad. There have been you know Western Michigan last year looked like a team that that had some parts. And then didn't have a very good season. You yeah. know? And so it, it, it's, it's, it's hard to know. It's hard to take too much from this. There will be overreaction. There's a reason to react to it. It's new data. There's nothing wrong with some reaction to this because
1: it's better to react to this than the nothing we've seen for six months. Well, And remember, w- what's the thing that everybody says? The biggest growth is between week one and week two. This is just the first chance to see how they are when the lights come on. And
0: they ought to be able to. They ought to be able to win certain matchup. Physically, they ought to look like the better team. That that's the thing that you can. If they're if they're not, then then you got concerns. To me, it's more of a avoid red flag game. Have some things that look intriguing. So, okay, you know, moving forward, that looks like it might be pretty
1: good. Than being able to just say with a statement, they're good here. I, I'm curious to see in the future now with everything shifting with the the playoffs and all that. How these games and schedules are structured, because I mean, this Michigan State team right now could benefit from having Richmond game one and Central game two building into the Washington game. I don't know that Richmond's not better than Central. So Richmond's got you know a lot of guys
0: back from a nine and four team. They might be just as just as good. Uh, you know, the top of the FBS is right. Like, you know,
1: that's pretty decent. Uh, yeah, yeah, they made the playoffs, but they didn't make a deep push in the playoffs. If you're if you're a deep playoff team in the FCS, that's one thing, right. Um if you are a team that's getting in with four losses, you're a good team at that level.
0: Yeah, but I I'll, just to give you an example, I've seen like Southern Illinois be about what this Richmond team is projected to be or was last year take out, you know, or or come with a whisker of beating uh Northern Illinois when they were at the top of the MAC West. Like the the difference early on cuz the one thing in that league is, right, it's the scholarships too at, at that level, you only get 63. Yep. That matters in terms of depth, but early in the season, it's not as, it's not as impactful. Um, the one thing that's going to hurt that level that that you know, I don't mean to advance Richmond too much here, but I don't know how much we've seen it yet. But in the old days, what you really had at that level an advantage was the ability to transfer immediately and play, and so you would wind up with NFL dudes on those rosters yep. that you would not get at the mid major level. Because they wanted to go down uh, Jacobs, the running back for the Giants forever, you know, wound up there. Wow. There were a lot of those. Sort I mean, of guys, um, I mean, Mar- of Marshall of was was at that level. Yes, with yes. Randy Moss, tons of those guys. And Marshall came right into the MAC
1: and was winning it then. And and, and so, but your top tier programs at that level though have those NFL guys that are off the radar because they're in the Dakotas and they're in rural Iowa and they're in backwoods Minnesota and and some of those far flung places in Montana where where these these scouting combines where power 5 coaches aren't there all the time miss it but they're also
0: no longer getting the guys who are just impatient transfers right that's what they don't get and they don't get you know
1: some of the sort of second chance guys who well we uh, we could go into a whole other argument that nobody here cares about as well that the and, and this is kind of the looking around the state and tying it back here, the Grand Valley effect, right? There were many years where people have said, why doesn't Grand Valley go up Division I and play in the FCS for football? But they were the top of Division Two. Well, now they're really at the top of Division Two because all the schools in the upper Midwest left Division Two for FCS. And those schools have different advantages over the, the traditional guys like Richmond and uh, some of those other like even Delaware, Delaware, I think ha- has, is one of those programs that's right there. Again, we're talking FCS football here, but th- th- we th- this is a trickle down from conference realignment at the Power Five level, where those schools in the Upper Midwest, like North Dakota State, North Dakota, South Dakota State, South Dakota, all moved up because they realized that Division Two was dwindling as teams were trying to chase the Division One dream. And, and, and comparable teams and, and that and that's changed where the talent is in that echelon of, of SCS. The, the teams like Richmond and Youngstown State that would feast on those transfers aren't getting them anymore. Not to
0: do an entire podcast here on things that our listeners don't care about, but <laughs> one of my one of my favorite quotes from Brian Kelly came because Grand Valley folks have always said, oh, you know, we could beat western or central and all this. We're right there. And um, Western and Central, by the way, would never let Grand Valley in the MAC. But they already <laughs> screwed up letting Grand Valley have so much of Grand Rapids. Um, but the uh, he was asked about the move to Cincinnati from uh, Central Michigan. Or there was the move to Notre Dame from Cincinnati in terms of level. And he basically said, it really isn't any difference as a coach. The big hard move for me was from Grand Valley to Central. That's where the talent jump was. And I, you know, I just love that because that you know, Brian Kelly's like their their lord there at Grand Valley, and to have him basically say the level of talent, that's where the jump is between Grand Valley and Central was was, was interesting. Okay, back to to this uh, this game. I, w- I want to get into the special teams a little bit because I like we talked about it and from a season perspective on this, it's going to impact this Michigan State team greatly. This is our first chance to see what they look like, kicker and punter.
1: And, and in the return
0: game, and and in the return game, but I, I think you know, return. Yes, it would be great if they had something that 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 gave them some juice, and they need to try to find that. Um, but if they're not able to count on, you know, seventy five percent inside of forty yards and field goals, that's a problem this season. If they're not able to flip the field consistently with forty two, forty three, forty four yard punts and they're getting some 25-yard shanks and some things like that. It, it, for this team, with its margin, it becomes a small problem, and, and that we will start to discover, I think, against Central.
1: I, I think as much as we, we spend so much time on the punter and kicker situation and, and you know Mel Tucker was asked about it again on Monday, and again, like he did with the quarterback, didn't really go into it. I don't think he mentioned a single player's name on Monday, not one. He didn't. He did not. And uh, you know, I mean, that's Eckley and and uh, the the Ohio State transfer Michael O'Shaughnessy competing at punter and Jonathan Kim and walk on Steven Rusnak at at kicker. Uh, neither, I think those two guys at kicker have one career kick, but each and, and they haven't made it. <laughs> each they missed their only attempt. And and yeah. Kim yeah. Kim is a guy that they brought in as a transfer from North Carolina. He's a, he's a kickoff specialist, but what can he do when the lights are bright? getting getting behind center and trying to take a kick from the long snapper. I don't know. But I also I also think that we spend so much time talking about the specialists on that that we don't even think about the return teams and and the coverage units. And I think the coverage units particularly that's where when Mel Tucker's talking about 30 to 40 guys that's where you need the additional bodies. You you can't be relying on your starters to be out there. If this is this is a spot where, and it goes to to me to recruiting. If you can get freshmen on the field and improve your play, true freshmen or redshirt freshmen, and and not have to burn your defensive and offensive guys for additional snaps on some of the most physical plays in the game, you have to do that. And you know he was asked how many true freshmen he's we're going to see. And he didn't like we'll see on Friday, whatever. Um, You know, but that's, I think an area, if, if you're recruiting is, is stepped up, then you don't worry about burning red shirts anymore. You play those guys on the special teams units and make yourself better. Because if those punts aren't going 50 yards, like Bryce Berenger was hitting and they're instead going 44 on a line, then you better have fast athletes down there covering to prevent how many years do we see Michigan State, even in their best years, have some special teams gaffes that cost them? I'm talking on the return units, not I'm talking, I'm not talking about bad punts. I'm not talking about missed field goals. I'm talking about covering kickoff and punt returns. Well, and I'm also curious
0: to see, you know, Michigan State sort of gone with you know, one kicker most of the time throughout, you know, history. But you can have a situation where, I mean, Jonathan Kim is a, a kickoff specialist, big leg guy, right? That's what those guys are. And those guys, even in field goals, can have – you could have a long field goal, short field goal kicker. You could have a guy who's, you know, when it when it's you're over 40, you know, 45 yards, this is your guy under 45 yards, this is your guy. You could see something like that too. Um, I'm, I'm curious where they go. You're right on the returns. For a long time under D'Antonio, they were not prolific enough. Jaden Reed sort of changed that. Um you ought to have guys on your roster who have a knack for it, and you, you, it's up to you to find that guy. And I mean, and the punt is a little different. You need sure hands before before
1: everything. But yeah, but I'm talking I'm talking about the guys in front of the returners. I'm talking about the blockers. I'm yeah. talking about the other way when when you're defending the returns. Uh, sure. Those there's a there's more components to this because listen, Bryce Berenger built that team out last year on a number of situations. I mean, they won five games. How many of those did Barringer, flipping the field when they were pinned inside the ten allow them to win? They, they he was their
0: best and most important player at times last year, and um, you know I,
1: I think people are hoping it's not the punter. Uh, this isn't this isn't Iowa. The coaching staff has been utterly quiet about it, and that's I I think when you have an All American who is now the starter and a draft pick in the NFL, that's a massive loss. And the coaching staff hasn't really talked about it. We haven't talked to Ross Ells in about three and a half years. They have not made him available in quite some time. And, you know, this coaching staff has a lot of things that they need to, to show that they can do, um, particularly game management issues and clock management issues and play calling issues, but special teams as well. Um, You know, you don't have the punter to bail you out. You got to have structure and schematics in place to prevent the big gains because there is nothing that would change that game more on Friday night than if Central returned a long kickoff for a touchdown. Remember, Jaden Reed did that down at Western Michigan when Michigan State played down there. Um, What year was that? Was it 18? or was that 19? Oh no no no,
0: it wasn't Jaden Reed, it was Darius Phillips. Oh, that's Did right. You know? I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Darius yeah. Phillips. And that, that, was, was was in, that was back in That was back in 15, yes.
1: Yeah. But but that changed that game. You're right. I'm yeah. blending those two games together. Yeah, no, it's um no, th- th-
0: there's no doubt that if if you have those sort of players, those are the equalizers in in, in games like that. Um be a, it'll be look, it's going to be fascinating. It's a it's a There's it's that a word me, again. It's a showby moment <laughs> and this team is this team is is Look, I I don't know that I've covered a team and I've said it before in teams, but I don't know if I've covered a team with this many questions and yet not necessarily having to be answered negatively. Like it's not like they don't they can't be good. It's not like you know they can't be bad. I mean, I just think there is a a wide margin for what this season could could entail and and that, you know, is, is quarterback through kicker and there's a you know, there are a few places they ought to be strong and if they are good in the trenches, and, and and we'll start to see some competence this week and, and if they you know, if if they're good against Central Michigan in the trenches, doesn't mean they'll be good against Washington in the trenches, but it gives you a chance. And if if they're good in the trenches, it's gonna make everything else seem easier. And uh so that that's really I think the
1: first place to uh to sort of keep yeah. an eye on obviously quarterback. I, I would say twenty twenty one there were maybe more questions because we had not seen that right. large of a rosters turnover of that scale. In college football. Now and it, Kenneth now, Walker in? And- right. And now now it's become the norm. I mean, so you you kind of, from that, you get a better baseline of, okay, every year there could be one or two impact guys like Kenneth Walker who've fallen right. below the radar at their previous school or for, left for whatever reason and, that take another step uh, based on becoming a feature guy. Um you know, Nate Carter could be a guy like that. Maybe, maybe Jaron Ma- Jaden Mangum. Excuse me, Jaron Mangum. Boy, I'm. It's gonna be a long year with those
0: two. I tell you, the one I'm gonna misspell is Hauser. Hauser. I've been doing it yep. with the other, doing it with the A for, you know, a number of years, and now it's the O, and you know, take some time. Yep.
1: Well, and but but I I, I want to posit one to you because I do think that you know we spent so much time in the last few weeks uh, when we've done the podcast going into the weeds with the roster, going into the weeds with the position battles, going into the weeds with what exactly could happen on either side of the ball or, you know, waiting until Friday. There was something Mel Tucker said on Friday that I think is pretty interesting when when Jack Ebling asked him, you know, how do you, you know, measure growth as a coach? He said, you know, we'll have to see on Friday, uh, including his performance where do you think this staff is right now? And I'm not just talking about Mel Tucker and not talking about Mel Tucker's contract. I mean, when you say it's a prove-it year, a show-me year, I think for this coaching staff, it may be a bigger show-me year than even for any of the players. Right, because here's the thing. When I say show-me year, it's not like show me the end result,
0: 10-2, and 12-0. It's show me competence all year. Show me growth all year. Show me development all year. Show me... You know, I think what would be a huge thing for this coaching staff and for this team, for proof of depth, for proof of growth, is to be better in November than in September. And and we really haven't had that yet from from them. To get to a point where you know, no matter what happens, because if you want to, I mean, you could. I've said this before, and and I don't think, you know, people think six and six disappointing, but if you wind up six and six. And even if you start two and three and all this stuff, because you can start two and three and get to six and six, pretty there's a pretty clear path to how to do that. But if they are really com- more competitive against Ohio State than they've been, where they look like they belong on the same field for a length of time, competitive against Penn State at Ford Field, where it looks like, hey, these guys are going somewhere. They look like they, they're ready for this stage, and they're better in November than they are in September. That to me is that's what I'm. And now injuries can wipe that possibility out, and we've seen that happen before and other things. But that is that is something I, you know, when you've got youth at quarterback, when you've got um, some unproven guys in the secondary, you know, that is the sort of thing that would go a long way towards people going, okay, there's the direction. Things that
1: next year is going to be is promising. Well, and I think that there's just as much about the the development aspect of the coaching staff yep. with its players as there is in game decision making, play calling, creativity, uh, clock management. I mean there were there were games even back in twenty eleven where they struggled with, with some of those things. I mean the Michigan game I went 2021 back 2021 you mean? Or 2021, 20, 20, yeah. yeah. Um I went back and watched the Michigan game and, you know, they take the lead on the Kenneth Walker touchdown. And they get the ball back, and they have a chance to run out the clock. And some of the play calling was mystifying, and they ended up having to punt it away, and give Michigan the ball again, with a chance yeah. to come back. I mean, the Illinois game last year, there was, and to me, the, and you heard me in the press box. I mean, I, I said that it was coaching malfeasance at the end of the Penn State game, when Penn State had, I think, four. They, they shifted the formation to go five guys or three, four guys to the left, and MSU only had three or four guys. They were one man down, and Mel Tucker had timeouts to burn. It was a one-score game at that point, and you could stop them. And it, it was coaching malfeasance to not call a timeout. That's a situation that's on Mel Tucker. That's his. He's the CEO. He's got the timeouts. He's the one who should use it. And they didn't, and, and they got burned for a touchdown there.
0: And in player development, too. I mean, you go back to and, – and part of what D'Antonio and his group did in their peak – and when they were was uncover guys, so it wasn't just all development. They found some dudes who should have been four or five stars. Like if you go back to the two thousand uh, 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 ten or eleven, I, I've written it down. Eleven class, I think it is. The two thousand eleven class is maybe it's ten class, but pound for pound, it's the Le'Veon Bell group. So two thousand ten, yeah, Quest Denard. Like you could put that if you redid the ratings on how guys turned out next to any class in the country. That's like a worthy of a, t- a number one rated recruiting class. You just go through; it's like holy smokes! There are like eight pros in that group. Some of that is uncovering, but some of that's also development, and you know, and and I I think that's the area too that it's it, it's you know with some developing young players who are maybe not as high on the radar into guys who are real difference makers. We have, we have not really seen yet. Now, to be fair to them, they have had a lot of challenges when they started wasn't, you know, the real they they get D'Antonio's class and they get the COVID class. I'm not saying it, it won't still happen. A lot of their recruits are still very young players. Um, but that's something I think we also need to watch, like who among their guys, who among this roster, whether it's their guy or not, really takes really takes a
1: step. Well, and we also we talk this we talk about this so often with players, but I don't think enough with coaches because of the salaries, because of the, the pressure and power in those positions. But Mel Tucker's still a young head football coach. I mean, he's got three years, to basically you would say two and a half years at Michigan State and f- four seasons total, three and a half seasons as a head coach. I mean, when D'Antonio took over the Michigan State job, he had three seasons of head coaching already under his belt. And guess what? He was 18 and 17 in those three seasons. Tucker right now is 18 and 14. So uh, the few, this is where I think the biggest pivot is. Mark D'Antonio, people would have saw an 18 and 17 Cincinnati coach in Mark D'Antonio. There was questions. You know, I, I, he wilded people over when they hired him. And people knew the limitations that there were at Cincinnati and knew what he had built. And really, Brian Kelly benefited from what D'Antonio built in three seasons at Cincinnati. 100%, but, yeah. But, but, he, but D'Antonio had all those guys and still only went 18 and 17 at Cincinnati. You you could have saw that and said, "This there's no way this guy's going to last four or five years at Michigan State. He ends up go, going 13 years and growing throughout the process to become the winningest coach and pass Duffy Daugherty. You wouldn't have said that. In that last year at Cincinnati, you say, oh, this guy, by the way, is going to be Michigan State's winningest all-time head coach. You're like, wait, eighteen and seventeen, you, you can't really look at that. This is where I think the development is, right? I mean, that D'Antonio took over that team with uh, with John L. Smith's players and went seven and six, and then the next year went nine and four. I mean, there's parallels to what Mel Tucker did, going eleven to a different landscape, totally yeah, different I things, mean- but they are they're this I think right now in, in Mel Tucker's defense, he is at the point as a head coach where D'Antonio was when he took over Michigan state with the experience. Now he's got to show that he's growing. It'll be an interesting year. Fascinating. Fascinating. Might say. Fascinating. Um, fascinating.
0: Well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have complete coverage, obviously all, all weekend at freep.com, LSJ.com, green and white.com. Uh, you can pick up the print papers. We'll even have it there. Um, the, uh, that's for our over sixty crowd. Thank you. <laughs> um, and uh, we'll also next week uh, come back and, and talk about it more, which will be new data. New data. I'm, I'm excited yeah. about. Before we go, uh, a little bit of basketball news that is worth mentioning that 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 happened. We were recording this on uh, Wednesday uh, afternoon, and the, earlier this afternoon, uh, it was announced the previously planned closed scrimmage against Tennessee, which secret, was the return scrimmage. Secret scrimmage. Not so Se- secret anymore. Scrimmage. Yeah, last year Michigan State played at Tennessee. This year it's going to be at any slanting. It's going to be open like an exhibition game. Fans can show up. It's to benefit the Maui wildlife or wildlife, wildfire relief effort. Uh, Michigan State obviously has been a regular at the Maui Invitational. Last played in t- 2019 is, was slated to be there in 2024. No idea whether a, a year and a half from now there will be a tournament there or not. Tennessee's supposed to play in the Maui Invitational this year. This year, yeah, which there's no way that's going to be there. I think the invitation will happen just like COVID. It'll just be moved to, uh, to the, the, uh, Honolulu or, or somewhere in the, uh, lower 48. Um, but kind of a cool thing. Um, I myself will miss the game. I was assured there would be nothing on this date. It's my grandmother's 100th birthday party. Uh, and so, uh, I will, uh, will not be there. But so if, if I don't see a Cohen car dunk, it didn't happen, right? That's what I'm going <laughs> to tell people at least. Uh, just, you know, um, Anyway, but it's still a, a, a cool event, and Chris, I think from a basketball standpoint, it really is an interesting early look at where Michigan State is. Again, exhibition game, result won't matter, He'll, they'll play weird lineups like they usually do. They might, and at some of these exhibitions, these close scrimmages, they play like a fifth quarter and bring in young guys, like they can do all sorts of stuff, it's unofficial as, as all heck, but... Uh, it will be interesting—a very early look, uh, different from usual exhibition games that we see.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot like the the game in Grand Rapids back in tw- the 2017-2018 season. Uh, I I think because I think that would remember that was to that came up really short notice and it was the benefit hurricane victims yeah. in in Georgia, but also Tum Tum Nairn's home island of the Bahamas, and they sold out. That arena in, in Grand Rapids, and you're going to see some sloppy play, and you should. It's October. I mean, it's not basketball season. Contrary to what someone on the other side of this podcast thinks, it's not basketball season uh, until calendar flips. But we'll see. Uh, we'll see. I, it, 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 it all depends the on fan what base disagrees. Hey, it all depends on what calendar you use. I'm not. I'm not going to say that. But but I think the it, fan base it, may be wrong, but they disagree. Yeah, and I think it's 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 going to be interesting for this pr- team with. That's going to be the first marquee event for a team that's going to have massive expectations and massive hype coming into the year, and I would imagine Breslin's going to be sold out. I would how they I don't I, I was asked about broadcast information. I talked with uh, our colleague and friend Mike Wilson uh, down at the the Tennessee and. Uh, or no, he's in, in Knoxville, Knox, Knoxville, Knoxville News Sentinel, um, yeah, yeah. covering the volunteers and former Michigan State guy. Uh, he said last also year, also one of the great uh coed softball uh outfielders
0: you'll ever have. Yeah, he Go he
1: ahead. has a cannon uh, and a good bat too. Um, big Braves fan, which is only knock. Uh, I will say that he said that they Tennessee last year played Gonzaga in a, a similar charity benefit game. The difference it was in Frisco, Texas. Uh, but it was televised pay-per-view to help mm. raise funds. So uh, none of this information is official or concrete yet. I mean, today it just came out, but something like that, if Tennessee already has uh, a background with it, it might end up doing that. And listen, if there's anything, it, you know, you don't want to pay for whatever bird you, I mean, I, I don't understand where the, the thing is coming to pay for whatever bird app or Streaming service that you want, but that's what you should be. This is what you should be paying for. No, this this that would make sense if the whole idea
0: of having it is to put people in the stands to make money for them. Then it makes sense to also offer a streaming option or a pay per view option yes. in some way that, that allows people to to contribute and and uh, that would make yes. And I think there would be all, a lot of interest and they make a I lot think, of money.
1: I think I think you know that and that's what they said. All proceeds will be going to this and this and Maui. I mean Tom Izzo his his first game as a head coach yep. was in Maui uh back in 1995 let me give you a, 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 a ask you a little trivia do you remember his
0: backcourt that what it, what it was supposed to be and what it actually was most of the
1: time um i believe it was supposed to be Thomas Kelly and Ray Weathers yes. but i believe it was Anthony Mall and maybe Mike Respert david hart david hart okay mike yeah, respert was yeah. on that team though to give you an idea of where the weight room
0: situations come, how far it's come in Michigan State, I remember bench pressing in the basement of the old downtown YMCA next to David Hart. Like, I don't think it was 100% in season, but it wasn't out of season. Like, he didn't need to be at the downtown Y basement bench pressing. I'm sure they had weight rooms and stuff, but this is this is where, where, things, have, uh, where I, I, things
1: have. I thought I'm you were going to say way. you out bench pressed him. Well, it, basketball players are not. Kn- I have short no, arms. Basketball that's, players that's are not it. known for their. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's yeah. that's right. I, I was going to throw that out there. If you're going to knock on David Hart, I'm like, he's got long arms, and you've got those short T Rex yeah, arms. Are, yeah,
0: there are very few basketball players that could probably outbench me just because they're not built that way, right? Yeah, uh, I want to. I want
1: to see you on the dip station against them.
0: Yeah, no, I well, I, bar dips, I'm pretty good. It's the pull-ups. I, you know, if I get my one pull-up in, I've done well. I, let's <laughs> put it that way. That's where the, that's where the problem is. Um, Like I said before, we'll have complete coverage of this weekend's game at uh, Freep.com, LSJ.com, and GreenAndWhite.com. This has been a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. Please rate, subscribe, throw fruit. Uh, Just don't say anything um, that uh, your mother wouldn't appreciate uh, hearing, and uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.